بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about the enmity of Amr ibn Hisham more commonly known to us as Abu Jahl. We talked about his enmity towards Rasulullah and the Muslims and the religion of Al-Islam. And we spoke about how he actually planned to kill the Prophet by crushing his head with a stone. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved his messenger from the evil intentions of Abu Jahl. Now Abu Jahl, even though he saw this great sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we spoke about it last week, that when he tried to actually go towards the Prophet while the Prophet was praying by the Kaaba, Abu Jahl tried to go towards him with the stone, and suddenly he dropped the stone and ran away. And when he was asked about it, he said he saw a big trench of fire with wings around that fire. And he got scared and he ran away. And those wings were the wings of the angels. The angels that are the guards of Jahannam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that if Abu Jahl tries to do anything to the Prophet wasallam, if he tries to harm, harm him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send these angels against him. Let Abu Jahl call his people. Let Abu Jahl call his supporters. We will call the angels who are the guards of Jahannam to take care of Abu Jahl. And this is exactly what happened. When Abu Jahl tried to do what he wanted to do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prevented him from doing that by sending these angels against him. So Abu Jahl saw this and it was a clear sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet still it didn't prevent him from continuing to do the same thing. It didn't prevent Abu Jahl from continuing with his enmity towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his enmity towards Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about these types of people. Even if they see Every ayah, they see every sign, they still will not believe. And Fir'aun was the same way. The Fir'aun in the time of Musa السلام, he was similar to this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him so many signs. So many signs. He sent so many signs to Musa السلام, to show the Fir'aun. Nine signs. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا مُوسَى تِسْعَ آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ And we gave Musa nine clear signs. But Fir'aun still, even though he saw all of those signs, he continued in his disbelief. Abu Jahl was the same way. He saw this great sign, yet he still continued upon his disbelief. And Abu Jahl is known, as we mentioned last week, as the Fir'aun of this ummah. So he was perhaps the greatest enemy of Islam. So even after this incident, the incident that we spoke about last week, Abu Jahl continued in his ways and he continued to try to harass the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He continued to insult 
the Prophet So one day, when the Prophet was near the mountain of As-Safa in Mecca, and the mountain of As-Safa is very near the Kaaba. The Prophet was near that area and he was praying. And Abu Jahl came to him and he started to speak to him in a very insulting way. He insulted him. He spoke badly to him. And there were people who were witnessing what was going on. There was no one from Bani Abdul Muttalib witnessing this. If there was anyone from Bani Abdul Muttalib, from the clan of the Prophet ﷺ, if there was anyone who saw Abu Jahl speaking to him in this way, if there was anyone from the family of Abdul Muttalib seeing this, they would have stopped him. Not necessarily because they believed in the Prophet ﷺ, but because he was from their tribe, he was from their family. And they used to defend based on familial relationships. Even if they didn't believe in the message, they would still defend him based on the blood ties. But at that time it happened to be that no one from Bani Abdul Muttalib was there. There were other people from other clans of the Quraysh who were witnessing what was happening, were witnessing Abu Jahl insulting the Prophet ﷺ in such a bad way. But nobody said anything. And the Prophet ﷺ himself being the patient person that he was, he didn't say anything either. He just let it pass and eventually he left. So a little bit later, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he was returning from a hunting expedition. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, he was known as a very brave and courageous and a, a skillful archer. And he used to go out and do a lot of hunting. That was one of his hobbies. And he was very skilled in hunting as well. And one of his nicknames, he was known as Sayyadul Usud, the hunter of lions. He used to hunt animals. He even used to hunt lions. That's how brave he was. Wasn't even afraid of the lions. So he was known as Sayyadul Usud, the hunter of the lions. So it happened to be after this incident between Abu Jahl and the Prophet that was witnessed by the people around the area. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib a little bit later happened to be coming back from a hunting expedition. And it was the habit of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib when he would come back from a hunting expedition. He would go by the Kaaba. He would meet the people who were sitting around there. And we mentioned before that the various groups of the Quraysh, they used to gather around the Kaaba, sit near the Kaaba in groups and discuss their matters. So it was the habit of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib when he would come back into Mecca from any of these hunting expeditions, he would go to the Kaaba, he would uh, pass by these different gatherings around the Kaaba, he would greet the people, they would ask him how his trip was, they would ask him how the hunting expedition went, you know, there would be some small talk. This was the habit of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib whenever he would return to Mecca from a hunting expedition. So he comes back from his hunting expedition and he comes near the Kaaba. And a woman approaches him. And this woman, she had a house that was near the mountain of As-Safa. And she witnessed the incident between Abu Jahl and the Prophet Muhammad She was one of the witnesses to it. So when Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib came back and passed by, she stopped him and said, 
you wouldn't believe the way that Amr ibn Hisham spoke to your nephew today. You wouldn't believe the way that he spoke, the insulting words that he used. It was such an insulting manner of speaking that the people had not seen before. So she explained to Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, what Abu Jahl did and how he spoke with his nephew. So Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib became very angry and he asked the woman and nobody spoke back to him nobody defended my nephew against this man and she said nobody spoke back to him everyone was just watching and nobody said anything so Hamza now he's very 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 angry just got back from hunting from killing some animals and he still he still has that emotion in him and he's very angry and he goes straight to the sittings or the gatherings that are there by the Kaaba. And as it was known, it was his habit, he would go and he would speak to them and he would tell them about his trip and you know, there would be some small talk. But this time, he went and he walked straight past the people without giving them salam, without speaking to them and with that angry look on his face, such to the extent that people were trying to call him. They were saying, oh, Ya Hamza, Ya Hamza. They wanted to talk to him. But he ignored everybody and he went straight to the gathering of Abu Jahl. And that was the gathering of the tribe of the clan of Bani Makhzum. Abu Jahl was from the clan of Bani Makhzum, which is one of the sub-tribes of the Quraysh. The Quraysh was a very big tribe and it had many sub-tribes within it. And Bani Makhzum was one of those sub-tribes. So Abu Jahl, he was with his people, with Bani Makhzum. And Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib went straight to him and his gathering and he ignored everyone else. And now the people's attention are all on Hamza radiallahu anhu. They're saying like, what, what, is, what is with him? Why is he so angry? Why isn't he, he speaking to anyone? So they were looking, what's going on? So he goes straight to the gathering of Bani Makhzum where Abu Jahl is there. And he goes straight to him and he strikes him on his head with a very very hard blow to his head such to the extent that his head started bleeding blood started flowing from his head he fell down and he said to him wa ana ala you dare insult my nephew and i am on his religion and the thing was that hamza had not actually converted to islam but he said this out of his anger you dare insult my nephew and I am upon his deen, I am upon his religion. And then the Bani Makhzum, the supporters of Abu Jahl, they get up and they're ready to fight with Hamza radiallahu anhu. And Abu Jahl realizes, okay, that this situation has gotten out of hand. If they fight with Hamza, then it's going to become a big war between Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Makhzum. And there's going to be a lot of big problem that's going to arise from that. So Abu Jahl realized that the situation was getting out of control. He didn't want it to escalate any further. He saw that Hamza was very angry, but he didn't want his tribe's people, he didn't want Bani Makhzum to retaliate against him because then it would escalate to a situation that would be very dangerous. 
And he realized that. So he told his own people, Abu Jahl told his own people, calm down, calm down. Don't, don't hurt him. It is true, what he's saying is true. I really did insult his nephew in a very, very bad way. So just leave him alone. So he calmed his own people down so that the situation wouldn't escalate further. And finally, Hamza, radiallahu an, he left and he went home. Now when he went home, he had time to think. And he remembered the words that he said. He said, Atasubbuhu wa ana ala dini. You dare insult him when I am upon his religion? Then he thought to himself, like, how did I say that? I said that I am upon the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When in actuality, that isn't true. So he thought, what should I do now? Should I go back to the people and tell them, no, actually, I'm not on his religion? And then he thought to himself that, how can I do that? You know, it was, it was something from the pride of the Arabs that when they say something, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, they would never go back on it. That was considered something that was not honorable. You say something and then the next day you retract it. You say, no, no, I made a mistake. No, no, no. That was considered aib. That was considered something that was very dishonorable amongst them. So he thought to himself, look, if I go back, everybody heard me say that. It was right there in front of the Kaaba where everybody was sitting. Everybody heard that I said I am upon the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now I can't go back and say, no, no, I made a mistake. Can't do it. That would really, really hurt my honor. But then he thought to himself, then what should I do? How do I get out of this situation? So he was up all night thinking about what to do. So he actually made a sincere dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we mentioned before, these mushrikeen of the Quraysh, they believed in Allah. They believed that Allah was their creator. So he actually called upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said, Ya Allah, guide me to do what is correct. I don't know what to do. I'm in a situation, I've put myself in a situation and I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know the right way to continue. So guide me to make the right choice. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put true iman in the heart of Hamza radiallahu anhu. And he became comfortable with his decision to accept Islam. So the next morning, he actually went to his nephew Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to him, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship except Allah and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the messenger of Allah. And this is how Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib became a Muslim. Through the action, the evil action of Abu Jahl, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that the cause of the conversion of the uncle of, of the Prophet وسلم, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib to Islam. See how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans. The people plan and Allah plans and Allah is the best of planners. So this is how Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib accepted Islam. And who is Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib? He is the son of Abdul Muttalib, a very, very powerful man. So that's another powerful person who has accepted Al-Islam. And the Quraysh, they became very, very worried about this. The whole foundation of the Quraysh shook when Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib became a Muslim. So 
like we spoke about in the previous sessions every time the Quraysh tried to plot against the Prophet وسلم, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned it against them and made Islam stronger now Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib this great Sayyid this great leader of the Quraysh he is a Muslim and now the Muslims have more support and more strength so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects this religion and he strengthens this religion however he wills to do so and of course the Muslims the Prophet sallallahu and his companions they were very very happy at the conversion of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib to Al-Islam now there were a few people who were very powerful who had become Muslims who had strong ties to the Quraysh and the Quraysh couldn't touch them like the Quraysh they couldn't touch Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib they can't do anything to him and they can't even do anything to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam because he is under the protection of Abu Talib so these people who have strong familial ties to their tribe the Quraysh couldn't do anything to harm them but there were also many Muslims many people who were accepting Islam who were very poor and weak and they didn't have those familial and tribal connections so the Quraysh decided to focus their efforts on those people on those weak and those poor people who didn't have family protection they couldn't touch the people who had strong family ties so they decided to focus their efforts on the people who didn't have those family ties so this was their new strategy they couldn't harm the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu so instead they would harm the weak ones amongst his followers and that is why many of the early Muslims especially those who didn't have a strong family for protection they were secretly Muslims they didn't announce their Islam in public at first but they were secretly Muslims and they used to learn from the Prophet وسلم, in secret and there was a place where the Prophet وسلم, would privately and secretly teach his companions and that place was known as Darul Arqam Ibn Abil Arqam it was, it was a small house that belonged to a man named Al Arqam and Al Arqam was also from the Quraysh and he was from the clan of Bani Makhzum and he had accepted Islam and he had become a Muslim and he offered his house as a place where the Prophet could come and the Muslims could come and the Prophet could teach them about their religion secretly in private and the location of the Darul Arqam the house of Al Arqam it's near the Mount of As Safa and it was located in such a, a position where it was very discreet where the people could gather there and it didn't really attract much attention so it was the ideal place for the Prophet ﷺ to secretly teach his companions without them being in danger of being hurt by the kuffar of the Quraysh so there were many weak people who accepted Islam and the Prophet ﷺ used to gather with them in the house of Al-Arqam in Darul Arqam and teach them the basics of their religion 
the harassment of the Quraysh reached such an extent that even people coming from outside of Mecca and we know that Mecca was a place where people would come often they would come for Hajj and they would come for pilgrimage so whenever anyone would come into Mecca the Quraysh would forbid them from asking about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam or even mentioning his name if they saw someone coming into Mecca and this person was asking about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam we heard there is a man who says that he is a prophet and he is preaching a religion if anyone would come into Mecca with these type of questions the Quraysh would hurt this person the Quraysh would harm this person so they said they, they gave this open threat they said anyone if you're coming into Mecca don't you dare ask about this man don't even mention the name of Muhammad so it had reached this extent so there was a man from a tribe named as Ghifar the name of the tribe was Ghifar and this tribe they they lived in an area that the Quraysh would pass by when they would make their trips to Syria and we mentioned that the Quraysh they would have two major journeys in a year they would have a journey in the summertime to Syria and they would have a journey in the winter time to Yemen and they would go for trade Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this they had a rihla in ashita and a rihla in as-saif a journey in the winter and a journey in the summer so the journey in the winter was to Yemen and the journey in the summer was to Syria so on the path that they would take from Mecca to Syria there was the, the this tribe called Ghifar and they were a very poor tribe they were very poor so when the caravans from Quraysh would pass through their land these people from the tribe of Ghifar, they would ambush those caravans and they would steal whatever they could. So the people of Mecca knew the people of Ghifar, the tribe of Ghifar, as being thieves and highway robbers. That was the reputation that they had. So there was a man from Ghifar and his name was Abu Dharr. And Abu Dharr al-Ghifari and his name Abu Dhar al-Ghifari because he was from the tribe of Ghifar. He was an honest man. And it is narrated that he never was into idol worship. Even though the people, they worshipped idols, he didn't believe in this. And he knew that it was nonsensical. So when he heard that there is a person in Mecca and he is teaching that the idols cannot harm you and the idols cannot benefit you and the idols are not worthy of worship and there is only one creator who is worthy of worship when Abu Dhar heard about this that there's a man in Mecca who is speaking like this he really really wanted to go and find out more information about this person and his his preachings so he sent his brother he sent his brother Unais to go to Mecca and to find out more information about this man so Unais he goes into Mecca and he sees the Quraysh and their enmity towards Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he sees the threats of the Quraysh 
against the people for even asking about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So he takes all of this in and then he goes back to his tribe. So Abu Dhar is very anxiously and excitedly waiting for his brother's news. So his brother tells him, his brother tells him that yes, there is this man, his name is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He teaches the worship of one God alone. He teaches good manners, he teaches good akhlaq, he commands with the good and he forbids the evil. So Abu Dhar became very excited when he heard this. He said, okay, thank you for this information, but I need to go myself. I need to go and meet this man for myself. So, <coughs> so Abu Dhar, he leaves his land, he leaves his tribe, and he goes to Mecca. Now we said Abu Dhar was a poor man. He was a poor man, and he was an honest man. Even though his tribe, they were known as being thieves and robbers, Abu Dhar never got into that himself. He was an honest man and he preferred to live a poor life that was honest. So he went to Mecca. He didn't have anything with him. He had no food, no provisions, nothing. He went to Mecca and he went and stayed by the Kaaba. And he lived on Zamzam water for many days. He came to Mecca. And he didn't have any food, but the Zamzam water was there. The well of Zamzam was there right by the Kaaba. So he's drinking that water. That's all he's drinking for many, many days. And it's mentioned that that lasted for about 30 days. So 30 days he's there, sleeping by the Kaaba, just hanging out by the Kaaba. And he's not allowed to ask about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because of the threats of the Quraysh. And he doesn't know how Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam looks. So he's just waiting to, to find an opportunity to meet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So 30 days pass and he's just hanging out there by the Kaaba drinking Zamzam water. One night, late in the night, he was there at the Kaaba and no one else was there. It was empty. And two young girls, they came by the Kaaba and they came to worship the idols of Isaf and Nailah. And if you guys remember from the first or second session, we talked about Isaf and Nailah, right? Isaf was a Yemeni man. This was, this was many, many years before Islam. Isaf was a man from Yemen and Nailah was a girl. And Isaf wanted to marry Nailah, right? But the, the parents of Nailah refused. So Isaf made a, an arrangement with Nailah. He said, okay, we will go to Mecca. Everybody goes to Mecca for the pilgrimage. We can go there and we can escape, you know, our families. And we can do whatever we want to do there. So they went to Mecca and right in front of the Kaaba, they committed an act of immorality and indecency. And as a punishment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned them into stone. And it was known. The Arabs knew this story. And when Amr ibn Luhay, if you remember the story of Amr ibn Luhay, he is the one who brought idol worship back into the Arabian Peninsula. After Ibrahim alayhi salam, the Arabian Peninsula was a land of Tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone was worshipped. And Amr ibn Luhay, he is the one who brought idol worship back into the Arabian Peninsula. So he got, he put these, these uh, stones of Isaf and Nailah in front of the Kaaba. And he ordered the people to actually worship them. Even though they knew the background and they knew the story. That these were two fornicators, evil people 
who committed an act of such immorality in front of the house of Allah, yet still the people, they would come and worship them in front of the Kaaba. So these two girls, they come and they start doing their ibadah, their worship to Isaf and Nailah. And Abu Dhar, radiallahu anhu, he's witnessing this. And he starts mocking those idols. He asks the girls, why don't, you, why don't you marry one of those idols to the other one? Why don't you make them marry each other? And he speaks with them in a very, in a way that insults those idols. So Abu Dhar is, is speaking about those idols in a very derogatory way. And these two girls are flabbergasted by this. How dare he can speak about our idols like this? And they tell him that you should worship these idols too, just like we are worshiping them. And then he said to them, why would I worship two immoral, indecent fornicators. Everybody knows the story of these two idols. Why would I worship them? And they're surprised. How dare he's talking about our, our idols like this. So they, they, they leave the area. They go out of the Kaaba area. And they are, their faces have these signs of, of disgust that somebody just spoke about their idols in such a way. So they quickly are moving away. And at that time, as they are exiting, the Prophet Muhammad and Abu Bakr are entering. And they see these two girls leaving in such a rush and they seem very distressed and disturbed. So they ask, what happened? Is there a problem? And then the girls say, yeah, there's a guy there by the Kaaba and he is speaking very badly against our idols. So then the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr, they're happy. They're like, okay, we have someone on our side. So they go in to meet, who is this guy? And that's where the Prophet ﷺ finally meets Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. So the Prophet ﷺ asked him, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Ghifar. And then Abu Dhar wants to know about his religion. He wants to know about Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ teaches him the fundamentals of al-Islam. And Abu Dhar accepts Islam right there. Abu Dhar is ready to accept Islam and he accepts it right there. Now the Prophet ﷺ is worried. Abu Dhar is a person from a tribe, the tribe of Ghifar. It's not a powerful tribe. He doesn't have any strong family connections. He is one of the people that the Quraysh can target and they can hurt him. So the Prophet ﷺ, out of his mercy, he feels fear for Abu Dhar. And Abu Dhar wants to learn more. Abu Dhar says, I want to stay with you some more. I want to learn more. And the Prophet said, okay, but this is how it's going to be. You follow me, but follow me from a distance. Don't stay close to me. You can see where I'm going and follow me from a distance. If you see me enter a house, don't enter that house immediately. Wait for a little while and then enter after some time. So Abu Dhar says, okay, I'm going to do that. So the next day in the morning, Abu Dhar follows the Prophet ﷺ from a distance and the Prophet ﷺ enters Darul Arqam. He enters the house of Al-Arqam ibn Abil Arqam. And Abu Dhar waits for a little while. He doesn't enter immediately. He's following the instructions of the Prophet ﷺ. And after some time, he enters the house as well. And the Prophet ﷺ is there teaching the people about Aqidah, teaching the people Akhlaq, teaching the people the Qur'an. And it is said that Darul Arqam was actually the first school of Islam. 
It was the first madrasa of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet Sallallahu is teaching Abu Dhar and whoever other of his companions are there about the basics of this deen. So this continues. Abu Dhar sits in these lessons for the next 15 days. And after 15 days, the Prophet says to him, Now I want you to go back to your people. I want you to go back to your tribe and I want you to teach them what you have learned. I want you to call them to Islam. And Abu Dhar is very happy to agree to this. But before he goes, before Abu Dhar goes, what does he do? He goes to the Kaaba where all of the people are there, the Quraysh are gathered, and he says, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah he, he can't hold it in himself anymore. He's too excited and he wants to proclaim it to the world. So when he says that, the people, they jump on him, the Quraysh, they start beating him up. And Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, who had not accepted Islam at that point, he was not a Muslim yet, but Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, he jumps on Abu Dhar to prevent the people from hurting him. He protects him with his own body. And he tells his people, how can you hurt this man from Ghifar? Don't you know that we have to pass through that town? We have to pass through their area every time we go to Syria? And you want to make a problem with these people? So they back off. The next day, Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu, he goes to the Kaaba again and he does the same thing. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. He wants the world to know that he is a Muslim. And they do the same thing again. They jump on him and Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu anhu saves him again. And he admonishes his people. How can you do this? We have to keep a good relationship with these people. So they understand and they back off. Finally, Abu Dhar, he does go back to his people. He calls his brother to Islam and his brother accepts it. Then they go and they call their mother to Islam. The mother accepts it. And through their efforts of da'wah, half of the tribe of Al-Ghifar becomes Muslim. Half of the tribe becomes Muslim through the efforts of Abu Dhar And Abu Dhar remained with his tribe giving them da'wah for years and years and years. And when the Prophet ﷺ finally migrated to Medina years later, by that time, the other half of the tribe of Ghifar also had accepted Islam. The whole tribe became a Muslim through the efforts of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari And then they migrated to Medina. And, the, and Abu Dhar stayed in the service of the Prophet ﷺ in Al-Medina as well. So he was one of the first Muslims, one of the early converts to Islam. And he was from those people who accepted Islam even though they were socially weak. They didn't have a social status like the heads of the Quraysh. And there were many amongst the weak who had accepted Islam. Abu Dhar was one of them. Bilal radiallahu anhu, another famous example of a weak person who accepted Islam. Suhaib al-Rumi, right? These were the people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with the light of Iman. Insha'Allah, we will continue these sessions uh, in three weeks. Our next session, Insha'Allah, it will be on April 12th because we're going out of town for a couple of weeks, Insha'Allah. Uh, so we will continue three weeks from today, bi'ithnillah. 
والله أعلم وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين